Welcome to the Sleep Charming Podcast, the podcast where I help you drift off for a good night's sleep or simply take a moment to relax. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or a rating. So sit back, take a deep breath, and let me read you an old story. When Cousin Stickles knocked at her door, Valancy knew it was half past seven and she must get up. As long as she could remember, Cousin Stickles had knocked at her door at half past seven. Cousin Stickles and Mrs. Frederick Sterling had been up since seven, but Valancy was allowed to lie abed half an hour longer because of a family tradition that she was delicate. Valancy got up, though she hated getting up more this morning than ever she had before. What was there to get up for? Another dreary day, like all the days that had preceded it, full of meaningless little tasks, joyless and unimportant, that benefited nobody. But if she did not get up at once, she would not be ready for breakfast at eight o'clock. Hard and fast times for meals were the rule in Mrs. Sterling's household. Breakfast at eight, dinner at one, supper at six, year in and year out. No excuses for being late were ever tolerated, so up Valancy got, shivering. The room was bitterly cold, with the raw, penetrating chill of the wet May morning. The house would be cold all day. It was one of Mrs. Frederick's rules that no fires were necessary after the 24th of May. Meals were cooked on the little oil stove in the back porch. And though May might be icy and October frostbitten, no fires were lighted until the 21st of October by the calendar. On the 21st of October, Mrs. Frederick began cooking over the kitchen range and lighted a fire in the sitting room stove in the evenings. It was whispered about in the connection that the late Frederick Sterling had caught the cold which resulted in his death. Valancy's first year of life, because Mrs. Frederick would not have a fire on the 20th of October. She lighted it the next day, but that was a day too late for Frederick Sterling. Valancy took off and hung up in the closet her nightdress of course, unbleached cotton, with high neck and long, tight sleeves. She put on undergarments of a similar nature, a dress of brown gingham, thick black stockings, and rubber-heeled boots. Of late years, she had fallen into the habit of doing her hair, with the shade of the window by the looking-glass pulled down. The lines on her face did not show so plainly then. But this morning, she jerked the shade to the very top, and looked at herself in the leprous mirror with a passionate determination to see herself as the world saw her. The result was dreadful. Even a beauty would have found that harsh, unsoftened side-like trying. Valancy saw straight black hair, short and thin, always lusterless despite the fact that she gave it 100 strokes of the brush neither more nor less, every night of her life, and faithfully rubbed Redfern's hair vigour into the roots. Valancy saw straight black hair, short and thin, always lusterless, despite the fact that she gave it 100 strokes of the brush, neither more nor less, every night of her life, and faithfully rubbed Redfern's hair vigour into the roots, more lusterless than ever in its morning roughness, fine straight black brows, a nose she'd always felt was much too small, even for her small, three-cornered white face. A small, pale mouth that always fell open a trifle over little. Pointed white teeth, rather below the average height. She had somehow escaped the family high cheekbones, and her dark brown eyes, too soft and shadowy to be black. She was neither pretty nor ugly, just insignificant looking, she concluded bitterly. How plain the lines around her eyes and mouth were, in that merciless light. And never had her narrow, white face looked so narrow and so white. She did her hair in a pompadour, 
pompadours had long gone out of fashion, but they had been in when Valancy first put her hair up, and Aunt Wellington had decided that she must always wear her hair so. It is the only way that becomes you. Your face is so small that you must add a height to it by a pompadour effect, said Aunt Wellington, who always enunciated commonplaces as if uttering profound and important truths. Valancy had hankered to do her hair pulled low on her forehead, with puffs above the ears, as Olive was wearing hers, but Aunt Wellington's dictum had such an effect on her that she never dared change her style of hairdressing again. But then, there were many things Valancy never dared to do. All her life she'd been afraid of something, she thought bitterly, from the very dawn of recollection, when she had been so horribly afraid of the big black bear that lived, so Cousin Stickles had told her, in the closet under the stairs. And I always will be. I know it. I can't help it. I don't know what it would be like to not be afraid of something. Afraid of her mother's sulky fits, afraid of offending Uncle Benjamin, afraid of becoming a target for Aunt Wellington's contempt, afraid of Aunt Isabel's biting comments, afraid of Uncle James's disapproval, afraid of offending the whole clan's opinions and prejudices, afraid of not keeping up appearances, afraid to say what she really thought of anything, afraid of poverty in her old age. Fear, fear, fear. She can never escape from it. It bound her and enmeshed her like a spider's web of steel. Only in her blue castle could she find temporary release. And this morning, Valancy could not believe she had a blue castle. She would never be able to find it again. Twenty-nine, unmarried and undesired. What had she to do with a fairy-like chatelaine of the blue castle? She would cut such childish nonsense out of her life forever and face reality unflinchingly. She turned from her unfriendly mirror and looked out. The ugliness of the view always struck her like a blow. The ragged fence, the tumble-down old carriage shop in the next lot, plastered with crude, violently coloured advertisements, the grim railway station beyond, the awful derelicts that were always hanging around it even in this early hour. In the pouring rain, everything looked worse than usual, especially the beastly advertisement. Keep that schoolgirl complexion. Valancy had kept her schoolgirl complexion. That was just the trouble. There was not a gleam of beauty anywhere. Exactly like my life, thought Valancy drearily. Her brief bitterness had passed. She accepts facts as resignedly as she had always accepted them. She was one of the people whom life always passes by. There was no altering fact. In this mood, Valancy went down to breakfast. Breakfast was always the same. Oatmeal porridge, which Valancy loathed, tea and toast, and one teaspoonful of marmalade. Mrs. Frederick thought two teaspoons full extravagant. But that did not matter to Valancy, who hated marmalade too. The chilly, gloomy little dining room was chillier and gloomier than usual. The rain streamed down outside the window. Departed Sterlings, in atrocious gilt frames, wider than the pictures, glowered down from the walls. And yet Cousin Stickles wished Valancy many happy returns of the day. Sit up straight, Doss, was all her mother said. Valancy sat up straight. She talked to her mother and Cousin Stickles of the things they always talked of. She never wondered what would happen if she tried to talk of something else. She knew, therefore she never did. Mrs. Frederick was offended with Providence for sending a rainy day when she wanted to go to a picnic, so she ate her breakfast in a sulky silence for which Valancy was rather grateful. But Christine Stickles whined endlessly on as usual, complaining about everything. The weather, the leak in the pantry, the price of oatmeal and butter. Valancy at once felt like she'd buttered her toast too lavishly the epidemic of mumps in Deerwood. Doss will be sure to catch them, she forebode. Doss must not go anywhere, she's likely to catch mumps, said Mrs. Frederick shortly. 
Valancy had never had mumps, or whooping cough, or chicken pox, or measles, or anything she should have had. Nothing but horrible colds every winter. Doss's winter colds were a sort of tradition for the family. Nothing, it seemed, could prevent her from catching them. Mrs. Frederick and Cousin Stickles did their heroic best. One winter, they kept Valancy housed up from November to May in the warm sitting room. She was not even allowed to go to church, and Valancy took cold after cold and ended up with bronchitis in June. None of my family were ever like that, said Mrs. Frederick, implying that it must be a sterling tendency. The sterlings seldom take colds, said Cousin Stickles, resentfully. She had been a sterling. I think, said Mrs. Frederick, that if a person makes up her mind not to have colds, she will not have any colds. So that was the trouble. It was all Valancy's own fault. But on this particular morning, Valancy's unbearable gravis was that she was called Doss. She had endured it for 29 years, and all at once she felt she could not endure it any longer. Her name was Valancy Jane. Valancy Jane was rather terrible, but she liked Valancy, with its odd outland tang. It was always a wonder to Valancy that the Sterlings had allowed her to be so christened. She had been told that her maternal grandfather, old Amos Wandsborough, had chosen the name for her. Her father had tacked on the Jane by way of civilising it and the whole connection got out of the difficulty by nicknaming her Doss. She never got Valancy from anyone but outsiders. Mother, she said timidly, would you mind calling me Valancy after this? Doss seems so... so I don't like it. Mrs. Frederick looked at her daughter in astonishment. She wore glasses with enormously strong lenses. They gave her eyes a peculiar, disagreeable appearance. What is the matter with Doss? It seems so childish, faltered Valancy. Mrs. Frederick had been a Wandsborough, and the Wandsborough smile was not an asset. I see. Well, it should suit you then. You're childish enough in all conscience, my dear child. I'm 29, said the dear child desperately. I wouldn't proclaim it from the housetops if I were you, dear, said Mrs. Frederick. 29? I had been married nine years when I was 29. I was married at seventeen, said Cousin Stickles proudly. Valancy looked at them furtively. Mrs. Frederick, except for those terrible glasses, and the hooked nose that made her look more like a parrot than a parrot itself could look, was not ill-looking. At twenty, she might have been quite pretty. But Cousin Stickles, and yet Cousin Stickles had once been desirable in some man's eyes, Valancy felt that Cousin Stickles, with her broad, flat, wrinkled face, a mole right on the end of her dumpy nose, bristling hairs on her chin, wrinkled yellow neck, pale protruding eyes, and thin puckering mouth had yet this advantage over her, this right to look down on her, and yet even Cousin Stickles was necessary to Mrs. Frederick. Valancy wondered pitifully what it would be like to be wanted by someone, needed by someone. No one in the whole world needed her, or would miss anything from life if she dropped suddenly out of it. She was a disappointment to her mother. No one loved her. She had never so much as had a girlfriend. I haven't even the gift of friendship, she had once admitted to herself pitifully. Doss, you haven't eaten your crust, said Mrs. Frederick, rebunkingly. It rained all the forenoon without cessation. Valancy pieced a quilt. Valancy hated piecing quilts, and there was no need of it. The house was full of quilts. There were three big chests packed with quilts in the attic. Mrs. Frederick had begun sawing away quilts when Valancy was 17, and she kept on sawing them, though it did not seem likely that Valancy would ever need them. 
but Valancy must be at work and fancy work materials were too expensive. Idleness was a cardinal sin in the Sterling household. When Valancy had been a child, she'd been made to write down every night in a small, hated black notebook all the minutes she had spent in idleness that day. On Sundays, her mother made her top them up and pray over them. On this particular forenoon of this day of destiny, Valancy spent only ten minutes in idleness. At least, Mrs. Frederick and Cousin Stickles would have called it idleness. She went to her room to get a better thimble, and she opened Thistle Harvest guiltily at random. The woods are so human, wrote John Foster, that to know them, one must live with them. An occasional saunter, keeping to the well-trodden paths, will never admit to us their intimacy. If we wish to be friends, we must seek them out, and win them by frequent reverent visits at all hours, by morning, by noon, and by night, and at all seasons, in spring, in summer, in autumn, in winter. Otherwise we can never really know them, and any pretense we make to the contrary will never impose on them. They have their own effective way of keeping aliens at a distance and shutting their hearts to mere casual sightseers. It is of no use to seek the woods from any motive except sheer love of them. They will find us out at once and hide all their sweet, old-world secrets from us. But if they know we come to them because we love them, they'll be very kind to us and give us such treasures of beauty and delight as are not bought or sold in any marketplace. For the woods, when they give at all, give unstintedly, and hold nothing back from their true worshippers. We must go to them lovingly, humbly, patiently, watchfully, and we shall learn what poignant loveliness lurks in the wild places and silent intervals, lying under starshine and sunset, what cadences of unearthly music are harped on aged pine boughs, or crooned in corpses of fir, what delicate savours exhale from mosses and ferns in sunny corners or on damp brooklands. What dreams and myths and legends of older time haunt them. Then the immortal heart of the woods will beat against ours and its subtle life will steal into our veins and make us its own forever so that no matter where we go or how widely we wander, we shall yet be drawn back to the forest to find our most enduring kinship. Doss called my mother from the hall below. What are you doing all by yourself in that room? Valancy dropped Thistle Harvest like a hot coal and fled downstairs to her patches. She felt the strange exhilaration of spirit that always came momentarily to her when she dipped into one of John Foster's books. Valancy did not know much about the woods, except the haunted groves of oak and pine around her blue castle, but she had always secretly hankered after them and a foster book about woods was the next best thing to the woods themselves. At noon it stopped raining, but the sun did not come out until three. Then Valancy timidly said she thought she would go uptown. What do you want to go uptown for? demanded her mother. I want to get a book from the library. You got a book from the library only last week? No, it was four weeks. Four weeks, nonsense. Really it was, mother. It cannot possibly have been more than two weeks. I dislike contradiction and I do not see what you want to get a book for anyhow. You waste too much time reading. Of what value is my time? asked Valancy bitterly. We need some tea, said Cousin Stickles. She might go and get that if she wants a walk, though this damp weather is bad for colds. They argued the matter for ten minutes longer and finally Mrs. Frederick agreed, rather grudgingly, that Valancy might go. 